Episode 12, Fox and Fallon. Gordy Fallon, Tanya Ray Fox. We're here. Tanya, we nailed the prediction about Kyrie Irving and the hapless Celtics after yeah. game four. Yeah. They had no chance. No chance in hell. They were blown out. It really was. I Didn't I say, I hope that Kyrie takes 30 shots before halftime so it can be fucking over? Yes. And that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. And it sounds like obvious. It doesn't seem like it's that crazy of a prediction. But there were plenty of people who thought like, okay... This will at least go to six games. Like, maybe they'll put up a show no here or way. whatever. And it was like, like you said, it was exactly, it was a, they were losing from start to finish. It was, I checked in on it on the third quarter and I'm like, yeah, no, this is done. Like, I'm over this. So, I mean, we were put out of our misery exactly as we wanted. We got the glory of the Bruins and the sad, sad defeat of the Celtics. All is right with the world in Boston. Hockey remains king. Well, we don't know what the future is for the Celtics right now, Tanya. But what we do know is the present for the Lakers is an absolute mess. And we I feel like we say this every week, but this week somehow got trumped by last week <laughs> and the week before. It seems like they had a lock for Ty Lue to come to an agreement to be the new head coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers wanted to hire Ty Lue to basically placate LeBron to make him happy. And by all accounts, I mean, this was going to happen. It was a done deal. It was a done deal. And by all accounts, I mean, Ty Lu was on board, but Lu was basically shocked by some dealings behind the scenes that, that basically Linda Rambis was puppeteering the whole thing. Jeannie Buss. Yeah. And basically demanding that he hire Jason Kidd as his assistant coach, wasn't going to give him a five-year, $25 million deal that everyone else has been getting. Right. And Ty Lu sees behind the scenes, he's like, all right, we, we get it that, you know, you don't want Tibbs as your coach. You want... Jason Kidd is the assistant coach, but clearly he's going to take over when I get fired. Why the fuck do I want to do this deal? And he walked away. Yeah. And it was not a deal that you offer. A, a, say what you want about Ty Lue and how things went in Cleveland, but he did win a championship with the exact player he'd be coming to coach in Los Angeles. Monty Williams just got a five-year deal. Luke Walton just got a five-year deal in, in Sacramento. You don't offer someone with Ty Lue's resume three years, $18 million. You just don't do it, regardless yeah. of what you think of the guy. Now, these aren't get like, it's not like that you, means you have to sign. It wasn't about money. It was a statement. You know, they can afford if they fire Ty Lue in a couple years or whatever to pay him off. That's what the Cavs did. Yeah. You don't have, it's not about the money. He's still and getting the money from Cleveland too. Exactly. So he had the leverage to be like, I don't need this shit. I'm not going to walk into a place where it's pretty clear you want me to like band-aid this situation and then have you replace me when the time comes. Like, you guys aren't long-term committed to LeBron and you're not long-term committed to me and this is where they find themselves. The only problem that I have with this, Tanya, is that, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of happy that Ty Lue didn't, isn't a coach of the Lakers. I think that that whole, that whole ship was going to sink when everyone knew what he and LeBron were going to do behind the scenes and controlling the team. I think it just would have given the NBA more clout to say that it's, literally an entire basketball association combined by players who go on cruises with each other and drink wine and say, hey, maybe we should join a super team. I mean, like, that's why I hate the NBA so much. Because right. I just, I completely disagree with all of its morals and values. And I think that Ty Lue not getting this job, I mean, I'm fine with it. But the, the problem is, exactly what you said, Monty Williams, Luke Walton, all getting coaching jobs. The Lakers are running out of options. And... They need to figure out who's going to be their head coach real quick. But Tanya, you have kind of a semi-legit solution that you think that the Lakers should consider. 
Yeah, I have a, I genuinely believe this. This isn't a hot take that I'm doing for our podcast. I think that LeBron James should be the player coach. I think that it's, we're at a situation, we're at an impasse here. This is LeBron's team, regardless of who comes in to coach them. That's how it's always been. Yep. It was that way in Cleveland the first time. It was that yep. way in Miami. And it was that way back in Cleveland. Now, I understand Pat Riley had a lot to do in Miami. But at the end of the day, LeBron put that big three together. Yep. He he put the, the pieces in place. And then he did it again back in Cleveland. That's how this works. He is very unique in that way. There are very few players in the history of the NBA, I would suggest, be could be successful player coaches. And this is where we're at. He has the power. Jeannie 100%. doesn't like it. No. Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis clearly don't like it, but that is the case. They brought the most powerful player in all of sports into their franchise and then tried to treat him like he was any other superstar, and he simply isn't. Yep. And let's just be honest, Court, he's a very smart basketball player. He understands the pieces he needs around him. Other players may not like it, but he knows how to put together Five starters who can make it to a championship. Well, 100%. And I'm reading this, the Phil Jackson book right now, 11 Rings, and they're talking about that he often would sit on the court and allow players to make their own decisions, you know, to have them be mentally strong enough to make their own decisions. Because a lot of the times when they go out there, they look into the head coach and they're like, hey, what do I do? You know, those real players make decisions on the floor. LeBron is personifies everything about that. No? Like, I mean, Absolutely. players, it's not, you know, it's not that they're looking to their head coach. They look to LeBron to say, what what the hell am I doing? You know? And he's, he. you're right. He would be perfect for this role. And let me give you a few names. I'm just going to throw a few names at you okay. here. Okay? I mean, because, I mean, in the in the history of sports, we haven't had a player coach I, since the 70s. Well, right? it's, been, it's been a long time. But guess who's done it? Guess some of the names in the past... Bill Russell, only of course. the only player coach to ever win multiple championships and the first black coach in the NBA. And the NBA Finals MVP trophy is also named the Bill Russell. It is. MVP trophy. Because has, he's the greatest 11 rings. Exactly. And, you know, so you, you think about somebody like that. And then you start thinking about Ty Cobb. Yep. Pete Rose. Curly Lambeau. Okay. Dave Cowens on the Celtics. Yep. These are all... Hall of Fame, legendary players, okay? Now, like you said, no one's really successfully done this since the late 70s. Dave oh, Cowens yeah. in the NBA, at least, yeah. was the last person to do it. Yeah. Um, But it's not unheard of to consider. No. Uh, I know the White Sox were considering making Paul Konerko a player coach a few years back. Yeah. Um, There are certain players, and, and I, you know... LeBron doesn't have the relationship to LA that maybe Bill Russell had to Boston or you know in yeah, but what, to it doesn't, Red you don't need you don't need a relationship with your city in order to be well the a player coach. I guess you know like I, I mean, know but it, what, what a, okay listen so I mean but this would be the perfect fu to the front office that LeBron is regaining control well it's it wouldn't like, be a, it wouldn't be an fu to the front office because the front office would be the one making the decision well but I mean, I mean but if you know if they're like hey if you won't bring my guy in then I'm just gonna coach the team myself and it, a it would save the Lakers a lot of money. And B, it would be, uh, if LeBron was named a player coach, the first in maybe 40 years or so, this would this would set single-handedly set him apart from Michael Jordan, okay? Absolutely. If he wins a championship as a player coach for the Lakers, it's over. game over. Mm -hmm. Game over. Why doesn't that happen? I mean, I, it's funny because you brought this up to me and you're like, I have an idea. And I was like, ah, that's kind of gimmicky. But like, you were like, hey, I'm dead serious. And like, the more I think about it, you are dead serious, and it actually would be a great solution. 
And it would be an incredible boost for the NBA in terms of just like switching things up. You know, like the last few years have felt like a rerun every single year. Yep. The league is getting stale. The superstars can't win championships the way that they used to. LeBron stepping up to be to make a generational type move like this yes. to to do something that like nobody's done since a legendary Celtics team in the late seventies yeah. is a huge deal. And I would love you know, truly as a fan of sports and a fan of greatness, I can't think of anything that could make the league more exciting than watching something like that next year. All right, Tanya, we got a guest on the show. We have a guest on the show, and I honestly think it might be one of our best interviews yet. Hope you guys love it. I think you will. He is a New England sports super fan, a Tom Brady enthusiast, Abdul Dramali, one of my favorite people in the world, truly, an astrophotographer. There is nothing that Abdul is not, Mm -hmm. um, but he's great. Abdul, please introduce yourself to the people. Oh, gosh. I I don't know if I could do much better than that. Thank you for having me. This was kind of a spur of the moment, but... I'd do anything for you. You know that. Oh, I, I, you know, I would do anything for you as well. And you know that Tanya has been <laughs> dying and pulling my chain since we hung out in LA, actually almost, almost a year ago. Yeah. I've been like creeping on Abdul. So it's so funny. Cause like, this is the, our first time talking, even though like we obviously have a very close friend in common. However, I follow you on all the socials, of course. And you have like randomly liked a couple of my tweets and I keep waiting for you to follow me back and you haven't. So I'm hoping this is going to be our in. Yes, 100%. I will do that. <laughs> I swear. demanding that you hit the follow button as we speak and while I introduce you and tell yeah. the good people of the Fox and Fallon podcast yeah. who you are. I start, out, I start out strong. I don't. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. She doesn't mess around. All right. So for those who don't know, Abdul uh, grew up in Texas, correct? You grew up in Texas. Well, God, I grew up everywhere. I'm from Egypt. Yes. So I've lived all over the place. I lived in the Middle East. I lived in Florida. I lived in Iowa. I lived in Texas. And as a direct result of not really having a home, it was I kind of was like, all right, I'm just going to pick a spot and be very loyal to it. My dad was a Red Sox fan because when he moved to America, they told him, hey, you're not a real American until you have a baseball team. That's all. He picked the Red Sox. Yes which was actually a very poor choice at the time. This was in the 80s. So it was actually a very poor investment on his part. He didn't take it seriously, but I did. And I was just like, nah, screw it. I'm a, I'm a Boston guy now. Uh, for the first couple of years, it wasn't great. But for the next two decades, it's been wonderful. Well, I, well I, I, the reason that I love that so much is, I mean, you know, as you know, myself, Tanya, we grew up in Boston and we have, have had ongoing conversations about um, – how baseball is no longer America's pastime, but really for me in how it ranks in my favorite sports, it goes football, baseball, hockey, then maybe basketball. Yeah. I think baseball, I think it's still viewed as a inherently American thing. Uh, just, you know, going to Fenway park and you don't even watch the game. You go there to just be there, have a couple beers, eat some food, hang out with your friends. I cannot I, wait. For I could not season. agree more. I miss Fenway so much. That's like one thing that about living in LA that I miss probably more than anything is going to Cause like I hated going to Gillette. I hated going to like, I don't know. I mean, I could enjoy a hockey game at the garden, but it's like, there's always a bit of a shit show, but I, I really, really miss Fenway park. Like that's just the one thing you can't really replicate in any way out here. So yeah, baseball is like that. It's so laid back. I mean, going to Gillette is an investment that you have to make a day of it because it's kind of, you know, it's out of the city. You're driving for 40 minutes just to get there. You have to find parking and it's just, you have to make a whole day of it. 
Fenway, you're still making a day of it, but it's so laid back and chill. More about Abdul and why he is joining us today. So, uh, so Abdul and I became friends when I was um, when I was the Patriots insider for NFL Network. He had just kind of followed me and kept commenting along. He has a gimmick and a, a knack for uh, creating popularity. I mean, you are just really, uh, truly, just a, a comedian, and you're very funny. You're very sarcastic, but you've built a following as a Patriots super fan, as a Boston super fan, so much so that you get free tickets to the Super Bowl. You get, uh, you know, sponsored trips for your astrophotography, which you're spectacular at. Um, you have this following and this knack of creating buzz around yourself through social media. That's been made come become, it's become a second job for you. I'm sure that, that it's, it's lucrative as well. How did this come about? How did you start? Um, and it's kind of talk about the thrill of, being an influencer because that's what you are. You're a sports super fan influencer. Oh man. I mean, the, it all boils down to one thing. And it's, I really <laughs> like attention. I have always really liked attention and, uh, social media is the easiest way to get attention and it's on a worldwide scale. So as long as you're getting attention for the right things, it can be a snowball effect, a, a bit of a domino effect in how things pile up. And, it's definitely been that way for me because I've been on social media since literally the very beginning. I've been, I used to beta test apps. I, I was, I'm a huge nerd. I don't know if you guys realize this. I work in tech. I work at a software company and uh, I've always been good with computers is how my parents would put it. So I used to beta test these applications like Twitter and Brightkite and Goala, Foursquare, all this stuff before they became popular. In fact, it was before there was even an app store. You used to have to jailbreak your iPhone in order to sideload these applications because there was no wow. way to get apps. And uh, that's how I have the username Advil on everything. It's an old nickname that I used to have, but there were no brands on social media because social media didn't really exist yet. And um, I kind of pride myself in being part of that culture that created what social media is today. I've been on Twitter so long that you, I was there when you used to have to follow yourself in order <laughs> wow. to see your own tweets and on the I timeline. Didn't that was a thing. I didn't realize it was, was a thing either. I was there. I was there before there was a retweet. We invented the retweet. We, the users, would copy and paste add a tweet, R add yeah, RT no, no, no. and all I caps. I remember that. I, yep. And that was good for me because my my screen name at the time was Fallon87, so there weren't a lot of characters. So it was very good for retweeting. I, I, do, I do remember that. Yep, and some people would even have shorter usernames just to be retweeted more because of the uh, do you 140 remember character when, limit. Do you remember back in the day when Ashton Kutcher was like the most followed guy on Twitter? Yep, yep, I remember. Oh, man, I remember uh, him and Taylor Swift were extremely yeah. – Oh, no, it was John Mayer. John Mayer and Taylor Swift were extremely social. Um, at the Super Bowl, I was left without a ticket, and Abdul had these amazing like 100-level <laughs> seats – like a $7,000 ticket that you were able to, you went to the Super Bowl because you raised money from your followers. I, I chipped in 10 bucks. What's the best ticket that you've gotten so far from local teams? Who is your favorite local team? I guess I'll start. Is it either the Celtics or the Patriots? I know you tweet them. Uh, good morning. It's just much, much like you kiss your girlfriend. Good morning. <laughs> and, uh, and kiss her on her way off out the door so she gets to work. You, you send your love and your hellos to the New England Patriots and the, the Boston Celtics every morning. 
Yeah, that's actually really funny because one day I forgot to tweet them good morning and I said that. I was like, ooh, I almost forgot. Uh, good morning, I love you. And then they tweeted <laughs> back. We were getting worried. <laughs> which I thought amazing. was hilarious. <laughs> and the funniest thing is like, it's so, when you tweet at Patriots, you're imagining it's like this entity, but it's actually just some girl who has the account logged in on her phone. And I like feel bad because she gets the brunt of everyone when they're angry and all the emotions are directly directed at her. When you think about that, it's like you're tweeting at the Celtics and the, and the Patriots. And it's like, it looks great on Twitter, but there, you really just have this weird relationship with some like 21 year old social media person. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the entire, um, Patriots social media team is all girls and uh, they're doing such a good job. And it's really cool to see that because uh, we used to have the most boring social media presence. So like, it's funny that you bring that up because in general, one of the things I was, I was thinking about, I wanted to ask you is because you're such a big part of, you know, sports Twitter, but you're not actually in the media at all, which is kind of a, a interesting place to be. What is your sort of experience with local sports media do you engage with it and or do you engage with any sports media at all or are you kind of like focused on the fans and the teams and and staying away from the larger picture in Boston in terms of like all of the drama all the time I stay away from it completely and I keep myself as a fan because it keeps me in the team's good graces and they really like me and uh, I think that as soon as I cross that line into media I'm no longer Boston sweetheart and it's very negative. It's it's very negative, and I'm not like that. I, I like to think that I spread nothing but happiness and positivity. I would say off the top of your head, what are the top three things, tweets, photos that have gone viral for you, and can you tell the story about each of them? Oh, man. Uh, I'm very fortunate that it's very difficult to think of three, but uh, the easiest one is the Patriots inviting me to the AFC Championship game to be on the sideline. Uh, to take film photos and to just be there for the AFC Championship game, not this past year, but the year before. I'm so spoiled. That <laughs> I I know, oh, right? not that AFC Championship, the other one. So just that, like them sliding in my DM saying, hey, do you want to come to the game? And it was just like, it was such a fantasy that I always had of the team being like, hey, we like you. You should come hang out. And it actually happened. Do you ever get sick of things going viral? No, 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 no. It's uh, it's less exhilarating than it was in the past, but uh, I kind of have the formula down to an extent. Like, for example, this tweet that my girlfriend had the other day of our cat. But she, Anna, my girlfriend, put this on her Instagram story and showed it to me. And usually when I watch Instagram stories, uh, there's no audio. So I didn't even notice it when I had watched it the night prior. And when she showed it to me, I said, save that right now tweet it with exactly this caption and then actually took her phone and I wrote the caption myself because I knew exactly what to say. And I said, that's going to go viral. And uh, next thing you know, it has like 2 million views on her account. It's been reposted to a bunch of accounts. I think it's got aggregate over 10 million. She got like 200,000 likes on it. And I was just like, dude, I've been part of this so long that it's, I get it. We're getting a lot of positivity from you, and I appreciate that and love that. But we also like to sometimes deliver the hot takes. And I wonder, as the ultimate Patriots and Celtics fan, who is your least favorite like other team? Like when you when you're when they're gonna when these are gonna play other teams, if the Patriots are playing another team or the Celtics, who brings out your rage? 
the thing I think the Bills Bills fans are very I don't want to be a dick. You know what I mean? And I, I don't mean that to be I don't mean that to be like a, like I don't know, that's just kind of the vibe I get from the way that they respond. Yeah. Well, for and sure, just I mean, the Jets Gronkowski's just from Buffalo and he's a real like he's the real bridge between Buffalo and New England and it makes sense the idea that he's like the hillbilly of the north. He could be like the king hillbilly of the north if you have <laughs> favorite sports moment in the city of Boston since you've lived there. Oh god, 28 to 3. I still have scars on my legs Dude, from celebrating that Super Bowl. Like I literally almost broke both my legs. No I joke. That's not an exaggeration. Story. I have scars please, to show please you. Please in in um in subtle detail, please tell us. Okay, no, it's not even much of a story. I was at the greatest bar on Causeway near the garden, which is a great place to watch uh a game. And we were watching them lose, you know, 21 to 3 at the half, going going down 28 to 3. It's dead quiet. We're all still there. We're all still watching. We're drinking. We're really drinking. And then the, as the comeback starts, it just gets rowdier and rowdier with every every first down. It starts, you know, it's like an order of magnitude rowdier because we're like, oh my God, like, is this going to happen? And I'll never forget when we went for the two-point conversion to tie the game and realize like, holy crap, this is going to go to overtime. I was like in, we had a seat, but I was kind of in a pit of people standing watching the game because we couldn't sit down. We were so antsy. And as soon as James White scored the touchdown, the place just went upside down. And uh, they had these like tall bar stools. And because everyone was going crazy, they were getting knocked to the ground. And I tripped over one. Someone like pushed me a little bit by mistake. And I tripped over one of my legs were still over the bar stool. And then someone else fell on to my legs. And I legitimately thought they broke. I almost got stampeded. Like no joke. That's not an exaggeration. And I have scars oh my on my legs, and I hope See, they never Sometimes I heal. think I'm a nut. It's like You're I truly. Sick. Sometimes I think I'm an over the top Patriots fan, and it actually makes me feel better to talk to you to realize that like I do have still have a ways to go. Oh, you don't even know. I know every play that they run. I can tell you what play they're going to run before they run it from uh, Tom's audibles, and I can tell you the last time they ran a specific play. I had a copy of the playbook from 2004, I think, and I just knew all the plays. I knew there's a one of the Charlie Weiss playbooks is like out there that you can just download. But it tells you it tells you some of their calls, like uh, their hot color. So he says like alpha blue go. And I remember one time where I had just read the playbook and they were going for a hard count. And as soon as they went for it, I was like, oh my god, they're going for a hard count right now. And my little brother thought I was like a wizard or something. <laughs> Because I had remembered it from the playbook. Have you ever snuck into a sporting event successfully? No, I'm brown. I don't even try that stuff. <laughs> I'm reminiscing about a, a previous podcast that I did a couple of years ago with Danny Picard, who's a local sports media uh, personality. And he talked about how he snuck into the World Series. And it was one of the most epic stories that I had He's, ever heard. To be fair, he's super white. He's, yeah. uh, he is super white. I snuck into the, um, I snuck into the U.S. Open once. All right, give me every detail about your yeah, your obsession oh, with Tom Brady as we finish up. He lives really close to me. I, I drove past him one time on the way to work, and I had this weird urge to like turn around and go the way he went. And I was like, okay, that's a little weird, buddy. Calm down. Because I was going one way. I was going west, and he was going east. And I, I noticed it was his truck from uh, Tom versus Time, like that big uh, uh, Ford. I think it's like an F-150 Raptor or something. And I was just like, that truck looks familiar. And then I looked down and I was like, oh, yeah, that's him. That's Tom fucking Brady right there. That's weird. Your identity really as a Bostonian out. has literally propelled you into so much success. And it's, there's something about 
there's really a level of manifestation there that I find to be really compelling. Yeah. And people, every time I talk about something like this, it sounds really corny, but I don't mean for it to be, but I never really belonged anywhere because when I lived in Florida, for example, and I would go home to Egypt, I was just the kid from America. But then when I was in Florida, I was the kid from Egypt. So it was never, I was always like an outsider. And then I always moved, I moved to Iowa and I moved to Texas. So when I was in Texas, I was the kid from Iowa. (laughs) When I was in Iowa, I was the kid from Florida. And when I was in Florida, I was the kid from Egypt. So I was just here, people actually accept me and they, they welcome me and we welcome the community also. So uh, like every Thanksgiving, we have people from the Boston area yeah, that have nowhere to go over to our house. And Courtney actually came this year, or I guess last year now. You have a home and you have a home <laughs> on this podcast. You have a home in our a very special place in our hearts, Abdul Jamali. You can follow him at Advil, um, at Analog Advil on Instagram too is your 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 photography accounts. Uh, you can find him <laughs> anywhere on the internet. Just type in my friend Abdul on <laughs> into Google, and I'm sure that you're going to find him. He's the number one guy. Abdul, thank you so much for joining you, us. Abdul. That was so awesome. I feel really bad saying this, getting off the phone with one of the biggest Tom Brady superfans. But Tanya, there's a Tom Brady superfan that I just irritates the shit out of me. Wait, what? Yeah, no, like this Tom Brady superfan has gone over the top to show how much... He is obsessed with the goat. More than Abdul Jamali? More than me with my Tom Brady birthday cake. Wow. Odell Beckham. Oh my God. (laughs) Odell Beckham. My dear. Oh, you know, clearly you're not really so suited in your number 13 fit with the Cleveland Browns in Duty Brown and Dog Pound Orange. And Baker Mayfield. I just, how many goddamn times am I going to have to see Odell Beckham commenting on a fucking Tom Brady Instagram post. I'm like flipping through. It actually was funny. So he posted something the other day on Instagram and it was a montage of him throwing footballs to Julian Edelman at BU or BC or wherever they were throwing it. And I was, I was flipping through and I was thinking about what you said about his haircut. And I was like, wow, you know, he really does look good. And on the bottom of the screen, there is a comment from Odell Beckham saying, Thank you for inspiring us. (laughs) Like, and then Brady's like, I feel the same about you. How many times do I have to see you, OBJ, kissing Tom Brady's ass? He does it so regularly. He does it on the regular. Then I see it on the ESPN NFL feed. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, him and Jarvis commenting. Listen, if you love Tom Brady so much, why didn't you demand a trade from the Giants to the Patriots? I literally give this, and I said this, and it really pissed me off when you said this too. That I said I give this two years before he leaves Cleveland to go pay for the Patriots. And he said Tom Brady's not going to be allowed. <laughs> He's not going to be around then. He's going to have to retire someday. Just saying. I think they... No, but... A, that made me really sad. I know. You did get... You were like, wait, what? Don't no, say that. No, no, you like, can't. You I can't didn't realize that. I was delivering bad info. Um, bad news. Go away, Odell Beckham, with your, like, your, your preaching of Tom Brady. It's just like... Also, I love that Jarvis Landry, he's like... He, he goes like, you know, whatever. Um, he, I think he, he wrote, just supports anything that well, Odell says. Ne- okay, so he wrote, it never stops. And then did the two goats next to it. And I'm like, all right, number one, dude, like have a little pride. You were on the Dolphins. Like you got your ass torched. <laughs> <laughs> years on the Dolphins. And secondly, it's like, yeah, dude, like only one of you can be a Tom Brady super fan, like Advil style, okay? And uh, having the both of you doing this, it's just kind of, it's sort of one of those things where I'm like, is this their way to like, 
motivate Baker? Like, what is this? What are I, do, they yeah, doing? exactly. What is the what's the purpose of this? There like, is if not. you're Baker Mayfield, they're like, hey guys, can you get off Tom Brady's cock and balls for a hot minute and get uh, over here and catch some footballs? I think Baker Mayfield agrees with me. <laughs> Go away, Odell, with your obsession for Tom Brady. Okay, so I have had this gripe for a really long time and I've been waiting for the right moment to use it. There is a thing that happens in sports media, specifically on Twitter, where I don't know when it started, but if you're a member of the media in any way, shape, or form, and you have some sort of career milestone, or you get a new job, or there's something exciting happening to you, the trend is that you tell your followers that that like that there's an announcement coming soon. So <laughs> this is what happens. Is it some fucking blogger with 3,000 followers will be like, guys, big news ahead, some big things coming up. Big changes, announcements, can't wait to tell you what's going on. And, like, no one cares. And then you have, like, two followers who have no life who are like, oh, my God, can't wait to hear, because they need attention. And everybody else is like, cool. And then when the thing happens, this here's here's the exact quote. So excited to share the news. I've officially been hired to blah, blah, blah. And then a long thank you of people they worked with, as if this is the fucking Oscars. (laughs) Like, you're leaving... (laughs) A USA Today blog. Stop. I've been there. I I get it. You're excited for your new gig. When I left my USA Today job, I told my followers because they were used to reading my stuff. They were going to be reading it anymore. But it was like, hey, guys, got a new job. Can't yeah. wait to give you more hot takes in the future. Like, I'm not making it. I'm not like, do, 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 do. I, I scroll out. Official announcement? Like, dude, what? who the fuck do you think you are? I don't need an announcement like this from anybody, but, like, potentially the president or, like, I don't know. I guess if Rich Eisen were switching jobs, I'd be interested. But other than that, get the fuck off my timeline with your big names coming soon. Bye. I Go just, away. I, when I... <sighs> So when I got when I got my dream job at NFL Network a few years ago, I just kind of waited for them. Well, clearly you're under, you're completely under wraps. You can't make a, you can't legally. They could probably void your contract. Well, that's why the everybody always before. says big news coming soon. Yeah, big news coming soon. But then like, what if the contract doesn't go through? Like, I'm always the type of person like don't announce anything unless pen to paper right away. Okay, also, don't assume. I don't care how many followers you have, unless it's like 27 million. I don't care how many followers you have. Don't. People don't want to know that they don't want an announcement about an announcement. In the history of my life, I've never been like, make sure you tell me that there's an announcement coming in the future at an undisclosed date and an undisclosed time. I mean, all right, so are you going to be mad at me if I tell our followers that I have a a career work job announcement coming soon? Yes. Yes. And I will be like, Courtney, when you get the job, then you tell your fuck and do, and if, so I swear to God, if you are you, like, are you mad at me? Because I just slipped that in and I just told our followers, Hey guys, I actually do have a work announcement for something career wise and it's coming and soon. And I encourage you to forget you heard that until she actually announces it. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. I hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Abdul Dramali. He's actually one of the funniest people I know. Incredibly talented. Go buy his prints. Go follow him on Twitter. Um, and if you are a bigger uh, Tom Brady apologist than him, then don't challenge him because yeah. he might he might cut your throat. No, he he. That's the one thing he doesn't fuck around with. But you can always come and challenge us. We're ready for you. So we will talk to you soon. Big announcements next oh! week. <laughs> <Such a big laughs> Got you.